Well, here we are all the way into Genesis chapter 18 as we run through Genesis, basically, looking at families, some family dynamics, some stories that can help us in our own lives with our families. And today we're looking at a story that happens uh, with Abraham and Lot. If you were in Bible class, you talked more about this, Uh, but I probably need to jump you in if you weren't and let you know this is after... Uh, God and two angels. God has taken the form of a human, obviously, in this story. And he has come to visit with Abraham and to tell Abraham that they are on their way to uh, destroy the city of Sodom. And that's where we pick up this story because Abraham has a vested interest in that city and its survival. So would you be standing, please, as we read the first part of this passage? And if it doesn't make much sense to you, be, care- be patient. We'll make it make sense in a moment. The men turned away and went toward Sodom. But Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Now, there's more to the story. We'll talk about it. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, in case you haven't noticed, there's a lot wrong with the world around us. Just a lot of things going on that break our hearts. Uh, Listening to things on the other side of the world that are happening, from wars and then the terrorism that bleeds over into our world as well, all the way to just looking around us and seeing the suffering that's going on, maybe some people we know that are struggling with finances and in this recession that doesn't seem to be going away. And then you start thinking about how The world around us, even here in San Angelo, doesn't seem to be any longer really led and guided by the principles of biblical morality, and everything just seems to be changing, and then we work all the way down to our families, and things are not just all right there either, and there's things going on in families that that really tear us apart. And we ask the question, well, what can we do? What can we do living here out in West Texas to make a difference in all of that? What can we do so that our lives will matter so that some of these problems that are affecting the world, our community, and our families can improve? Well, there are several things we can do. For one thing, we can join with like-minded folks that have some of the same goals that we do and are proposing some of the same answers that 
we propose. And if you want to get involved politically, then go for it, you know. Whether you want to join the Tea Party, you think that what they're saying is right, or you want to go to Occupy Wall Street, you can find other people who think like you and obviously are moving things and changing things. Or perhaps you can get involved in raising money for organizations that fight diseases that have affected someone you know or someone in your family or even you yourself. And so you want to make a difference so that you become a part of these efforts and you can be involved in finding a cure for whatever disease it is that that you feel passionate about. Now, there, there are things that you can become involved in and things that you can do that really will matter. But the story that we're about to look at in the Bible tells us that in addition to all these ways you can do these things that will make a small contribution of moving things in the direction you want them to go, the story that we're going to be talking about from Genesis today tells us that there is something that you can do that will really, really make a difference in this world. And it will especially make a difference for your friends and your family. And it's something not only that will make a difference, it is something that you really can do. It's not one of these things that's so far out there that only the rich and the powerful or only the specially gifted can do. This is something that anyone can do, and it will affect those around you in ways that you may never know. It may affect even generations to come. Let's look at the story. The story opens with Abraham sitting at the door of his tent. Abraham is a nomadic herdsman. He's got a big family, a big, of course, he hadn't had any children yet himself, but he, he's got all these servants and all these people that live around him and with him, and they're all camped out in the wilderness, and he's sitting there, the Bible tells us, in the heat of the day. Now, if anyone can relate to heat of the day, I think we in West Texas can, can't we? So you can imagine him sitting there at the door of his tent, and it's the heat of the day. He's probably had lunch already and probably a little drowsy. I would be, you know, I sort of drift away. And all of a sudden he opens his eyes and there's three guys standing there. Now it could be the way the story's told that, that maybe these three guys had been walking up and he had sort of seen them coming and knew they were coming. But it sounds like to me, he's just almost asleep. And all of a sudden he looks and there's just three guys standing there. Well, Abraham is the ultimate host. Abraham knows hospitality. Of course, back then, good people always were great and gracious hosts, weren't they? And he jumps up and he goes to the three men and he says, oh, wow, you have got to be tired walking around out here in the wilderness like this. You've got to sit down and rest for a while. Let me get you a little something to drink. Let me get you some bread to eat. And they say, okay, we'll stay. So he immediately runs, Abraham does, to Sarah, his wife, and he says, start baking the bread. Just bake as much bread as you can. He goes to his servant and says, you go pick the, the good and tender calf, you know, the calf that looks the best, like it's going to roast up the best. You go and you prepare that. We're going to have a feast. So he prepares this feast for these three strangers. And they're sitting there and they're talking and they're eating. And we still don't know who they are yet. Until one of them says, you know, next year, 
I'm going to come see you again. And when I do, your wife, Sarah, will have a baby. Now, that gets all of everybody's attention because Sarah at that time is 89 years old. And Abraham, her husband, is 99 years old. Now, not only does everybody's ear perk up at that, Sarah, now I know none of you women would do this. You know, all the men are sitting over here eating and talking. And don't y'all do this when we have our men's night out, by the way. But Sarah is hiding in the tent next to them, listening to what they're talking about. And so when she hears this guy say, next year at this time when I come see you, Sarah's going to be rocking y'all's little baby, she laughs. Well, that's kind of a mistake, isn't it? Because <laughs> now her cover is blown. And so the man says, why is Sarah laughing? Well, Sarah makes it worse by sticking her head out the tent and said, I did not laugh. And he said, yes, you did. Now, this is one of the stories that leads us to understand why when this baby is finally born, the baby will be named Laughter. But at this time, this man looks at Sarah and says, Why do you doubt what I say? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord to do? So now we know who it is that's visiting. This is some representation of God himself, along with two of his servants. And we know now that he has come to Abraham to deliver this message about the coming son, but also to do other things as well. And as we keep reading the story, we find out that the three of them are headed to this terrible, awful city known as Sodom. And God has decided that this city is so wicked that it is kind of a pox upon the land, that its wickedness is going to spread, and he has decided that it's time to destroy the city. But as he's about to leave, it's interesting how he's thinking. He says to his angels or his servants, you know, I really ought to stop and tell Abraham what we're about to do. So he sends the angels on ahead, and he goes back, to tell Abraham for one reason because he knows that Abraham has a nephew that lives in Sodom. His nephew's name is Lot. But also for other reasons. Listen to what the scripture records of why the Lord wanted to talk to Abraham about what he was about to do to Sodom. The Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. No, for I have chosen him, that he may charge his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. I think that's interesting, that God is wanting to nurture Abraham along because he says, you know, I've chosen this guy and I've charged him to teach his children about righteousness and justice. And therefore, he deserves to know what I'm about to do. So he tells him, he says, Abraham, we're going to go check out Sodom. I think I'm going to have to get rid of it. I'm going to have to destroy it. The outcry over its sin has risen 
to my ears and we just got to do something about it. Now, Sodom was a terrible, wicked place. And certainly one of the reasons and one of the sinful things that happened in the, the city of Sodom now even bears its name to this day. But if you think that's the only thing going on there that wasn't godly, then you haven't read much about Sodom. Sodom is talked about in other scriptures of the Bible, and they point out why it was such a sinful place. For example, one of those places is in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, where Ezekiel talks about how wicked Sodom is. It's a city filled with pride. He says they're haughty people. They have an excess of food and goods that they don't need, yet they will not give them to the poor and needy. So Sodom is condemned not only for sexual sins and deviations and violence, but it's condemned for being a city that cares nothing about the weakest members among it. All through prophetic literature, a nation, a culture, is judged by how well it takes care of its weakest folks. The rabbis talked about Sodom, and they told stories. They, they told stories that, that there had been a law passed that you have to be a physically perfect specimen to live in the city. They didn't want any ugly people in their city. And if they judged you not to be good-looking enough, you had to leave. And if the people were having children and the children weren't growing to the right size, they would try to stretch them because you couldn't have any short people in Sodom. Or if they were getting too tall, they made a bed and they made them sleep in that bed so that their feet and head would bump up against it and it would stunt their growth. I mean, no physical imperfections were allowed in the city. And also, they had a law passed that you couldn't share your food with strangers. We don't help no foreigners around here, was their motto, right? And if you don't belong to us, then you don't get anything. And one woman was convicted, according to the story, of sharing some of her food with some strangers and people who were hungry, and they burned her at the stake because she had broke the law. Now, I don't know if all those stories are true or not. Those are rabbinic tales about Sodom, but they emphasize the point that Sodom's sin was not just one facet of life. It ran deep in that city. And God determined that he could not put up with it anymore. However, as we said, Abraham had a special interest in this city. He had already himself rescued the city once. You talked about that in Bible class, didn't you? How when the city got carried off by a king, he had to get his army together and go rescue them. Well, now he sets out to save the city again for the sake of his beloved nephew, Lot. And he goes to God and he says, okay, let's talk about this. You say you're going to destroy this city because there's so many wicked people in it. But what if there are 50 righteous people in it as well? Are you going to kill them because of the wicked people? That doesn't sound like you. That doesn't sound just. That doesn't sound fair. And God says, okay, if we find 50 righteous people in this city, I will forgive the whole city. Now, I know the version I read said spare the city. That's, but he says, I'll just forgive the city of these terrible things they're doing for the sake of the 50 righteous people. Now, you say, well, God's just playing a game because he knows there's not 50 righteous people. I don't think God plays games. 
God is sincere in that offer. He says, okay, we'll look, and if we can find 50 people that are righteous, we'll save the city. So Abraham thinks, oh, well, good. And then he starts thinking, well, wait a minute. Now, I almost see Abraham wearing, any of y'all ever used to watch Columbo? All right. Do you remember that trench coat he wore? And he's always scratching his head and says, well, now, now I'm just thinking here. Wait, wait, just think. What if there's only 45? You're not going to let that whole city get destroyed just because you were five short, are you? God says, nope, we'll do it for 45 righteous people. And then Abraham said, well, 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 if you'll go to 45, what about 40? And then 30, and then 20, and then 10. You might have hoped he went down to one, but Abraham stopped at 10. He thought, surely in a city the size of Sodom, we're going to find 10 righteous people. Probably thinking about his, at least his own family that was there. And so he felt like the deed was done, it was safe, and he went off. Well, of course, we know the rest of the story. We know that when the angels got to Sodom, they didn't find 10 righteous people. They found zero righteous people. But the principle was established. And now after telling this long story, we finally get to what I wanted to say all along. All right? Here it is. The principle of this story is that as much as God hates sin... As much as God hates disobedience, as much as God hates rebellion, as much as God hates sin, he loves righteousness more. He is more excited about righteousness than he is distressed over sin. You know, we talk about God as being a God who watches us all the time. And that is true. God knows every thought. God knows every action. But the problem is that we often think that he's watching us in order to catch us doing something wrong. That he just almost delights in that. That he just watch, watch, watch. Okay, that's okay. okay. Oh, look at that. Look what he did. Look what she did. God watches us. But he watches us just hoping he'll catch us doing something right. And when we do, he delights in that. It thrills God to see us acting and being as righteous people. God loves righteousness. And all through Scripture, the story is that righteousness is more powerful than evil and that righteousness overcomes evil. If that were not so, then Jesus would not have come and lived a righteous life and died to defeat evil for all times. That principle is a godly principle. It's true in Jesus' life. It was true in Abraham's life, and it's true in our lives as well. When Jesus was preaching to those who were disenfranchised, those who were poor, those who were not the powerful of of the world of his day on the Sermon on the Mount. He looked at those people and said, you are the salt of the earth. You are saving this world. You are the preservative. Those of you who are righteous in the way that you live, you save this world. You are the light of the world. You give the light its guidance, the world its guidance, through the light of God that shines through. He says, don't let your saltiness dissipate. 
Don't hide your light because righteousness is more powerful than evil and righteousness will win. That is a significant message. And it's something that we need to hear that our righteousness is not about saving ourselves. It's about saving the world. In our story, no one righteous is found in Sodom, not even Lot. The city is destroyed, but Lot is saved. And it wasn't by his righteousness. It was the righteousness of Abraham. In the midst of the world's turmoil, in the frustration of your family life, the greatest gift you can ever give your children and your spouse and your grandchildren is your righteousness. Dads, if you want to give your sons and daughters a gift that will bless their lives forever, the greatest gift you can give them is to love their mother. And women, if your heart is really drawn to your children and you want the best life they can possibly have, then love your children's daddy. If you want your children to have the best opportunity to live lives that matter and that are good, then attend to your own righteousness, your own relationship with God. I can't tell you exactly how that will work out in your family. I can't give you the details. I don't know that your children would be spared a city that was rained down by God with fire and brimstone because of your righteousness. I just know that the principle is true, that your righteousness blesses your family and gives them every opportunity to learn righteousness on their own. It's the greatest thing we can give. Now, you may be sitting there thinking, but I'm not a righteous person. I've already blown it. Maybe my kids are even grown. I've got grandchildren. Or I can't be the righteous person I wished I could be. Well, I told you initially that this is a gift that you can give. It is within your power to give your family and your friends your righteousness as a gift. Because Abraham himself was not a perfect man. We have many stories in his lifetime where he messed up too. And yet we also have the story as to why God called him righteous he called him righteous because he had faith and he believed. That he committed himself to trusting God and following God with his whole heart. And when God looked at Abraham, he said, I recognize you've made mistakes, but because you believe in me and you're willing to follow me, when I look at you, I see you as righteous. And Abraham's righteousness radiated through his family. It saved his nephew and it saved you and me. And you can give that gift to your family as well by trusting and believing and giving your life to your Lord. Let's stand and sing.